And there you are, you lovely people. Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are coming fast up on the heels of Passover and you can register at TorahToTheTribes.com and you can go to forward slash connect, scroll down a little bit. You'll see the feasts. You can click right on there and you can register through Eventbrite. There's also a link in the description below and later we'll put some in the comments. So please, if you are over here in Mystery Babylon, then please come out of her at least for a few days and come and celebrate the Passover. And if you're scattered in other nations that are part of the International Monetary Fund, well, be comforted. You're in Mystery Babylon too. So you can come out from wherever you are and enjoy the feasts of Yahuwah. Today, we're looking at a better government, the government that is set upon his shoulders, the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. We're in Isaiah in chapter 9. Let's go right in there together. Isaiah chapter 9, I've got a ton to get through. So I've got to stay focused. I've got to stay focused. Yet there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And in the former time, he degraded the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So after he, afterwards, he will glorify the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they who dwell in the shadow of death, on them the light has shined. And that is the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy here in the ninth chapter. Now, you may remember in Luke, in chapter 1, verse 79, Zechariah promises that Yahusha will rescue who? And I've said it so many times before, and I use the analogy of if a pickup truck breaks, where do you go on the truck to fix it? You go to the point of origin at where it broke. Likewise, when did the kingdom of Israel break? Well, it broke when the Assyrians came in and took the ten northern tribes captive. And what region did the nation break? Where were the first captives taken from? They were taken from down in the Galilee. So when the restorer of the breach comes, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, where will he go first to fix the nation? He's going to go down into the Galilee, the very area where the first tribes got taken captive by the Assyrians. Luke chapter 1 verse 79, Yahushua promises that, Ye um, Zechariah, excuse me, promises that Yahushua will rescue those who live in the shadow of death referencing this very section of Isaiah where Isaiah prophesies the son savior character will regather Zebulun Zebulun and Naphtali and other former Israelites because the Galilee was known as the area of darkness 
the impending doom of destruction as the Assyrians came down into that region. He is the one that is going to shine the light, meaning bringing redemption to those that were taken captive. But you miss it all if you have a Roman Western Christian mindset of the Bible. We've got to go east and return back to the mindset of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to capture the full, full prophecies. Why was the Galilee area so dark? Like I say, well, this is the area that the Assyrians came down to take captive the first Israelites. And this is the reason why the Gospels record Yahushua at home down in Capernaum. Capernaum, Kafa Nahum, the city of Nahum, the city of Nahum, Kafa Nahum, on the border of Zebulun and Naphtali. Capernaum was right in the very area where Zebulun and Naphtali were taken captive by the Assyrians. This is what frames the whole prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, is the impending destruction that is coming from the north. The Assyrians are coming. They're going to take captive. And this is what Isaiah is prophesying. But the people, they've become so prideful and so hard of heart that they don't heed the prophecy. In the end times, and we'll get to that in this teaching, there's also going to be another nation like Israel that actually houses most of the scattered Israelites that have got assimilated into the nations, that they think they're pagans, they think they're Gentiles, but they're actually scattered Ephraimites and Israelites. They've lost their identity over thousands of years. They've been interspersed and intermingled. And they're housed within a nation that has in, got impending doom and judgment coming upon it. But that nation has become so proud and arrogant of heart that they actually misread all the prophecies and they think that they are just invincible. Can you imagine where that would be? Well, we'll get there later, but let's get here first. So, Yahushua settled in the Galilee for this very reason, because that's where Israel broke, and he was the light that will come and restore light to the dark region of captivity. And even in my life and in your life, isn't that true? Yahushua came into the darkness of my heart and shone light and took me out of my captivity of sin. That's supernatural because that's always what he's done geographically, generationally, and in your very inner man. He's the one that goes into the darkest parts of your life and exposes your sin. But instead of judging you with unmerciful judgment just deserved, he bathes you in his mercy and says, well, if you love me now, put away your old life and come follow me and keep my commandments. And you have an opportunity. That's a remedy. And that's called an equitable remedy because he's traded his life 
for your life, life for life. And so therefore, Yahweh allows him to bring a remedy for us. That's some powerful, powerful light into darkness, light into darkness, geographically, generationally, and inside the inner man and woman of which you are. So Yahusha himself is prophesied to regather Zebulun, Naphtali, and all Israel in the dark Galilee area. His light, his light will shine. It will shine brightest in the areas of the former Israelite north, now occupied by the Assyrians and the Gentiles. In the third verse, it says, You have multiplied the nation. You have not increased the joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his taskmaster as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the warrior is with commotion. And the coat rolled in blood shall be burning fuel for the fire. Well, this is talking about the final harvest. Now, we know, of course, as we celebrate the feasts, that Sukkot really is the final agricultural harvest. We are the generation that has been chosen, that has been called out of her, my people, to come and keep the feasts. Why? Because it's in preparation for the final harvest. That's what this life is about. Preparation for the final harvest. What's amazing is that verse 4 of Isaiah 9 is the only part of the prophecy that remains to be fulfilled in the plain sense of the text, in the Peshat, or literal sense. And it awaits Yahusha's return to earth. But using the hint or the remez in the Hebrew, the deliverance from Midianite captivity by a valiant spirit, this is the work of Mashiach. In both the spirit realm, which is the heavenly tabernacle of which we will one day ascend to, and the physical realm, which is Ephraim or the ten northern tribes that are scattered abroad. In the physical realm, we are going to be restored by coming out of her, my people, by being called being called out of Roman Catholicism or the Church of England or Russian Orthodox. We're being called or out of paganism and actually being lost. He's calling us all out and bringing us into one whole house of Israel. That is amazing. That is the earthly restoration. But the earthly restoration leads us into the millennium. And for us to walk truly into the millennium, we have to leave behind Babylonian ways and implement kingdom ways or what I call millennium technology. We've got to learn to use the millennium technology to sever the cords that bind us to the slave wagon. And then the millennium technology will enable us to build a better world here on this earth for our beneficiaries to the third and fourth generation. That makes sense? So we're using out-of-this-world technology to do it. And it's all built upon a different government. 
And some people say, well, you're anti-government, Matthew. No, I'm not. I just am of a different allegiance. My allegiance is to Yahushua's government upon his shoulders rather than a whore's government upon a filthy whore. That's all I'm saying. But I'm all about government and I'm all about citizenship. But my citizenship is in heaven. It's not a slave citizenship indexed by a social security number. Okay? Because that was called a mistake. And you can repent of your sins if you make a mistake and be released. So these are all the ways out of Mystery Babylon. Is first being aware of what enslaves you, then severing the tie, and then using millennium technology to actually apprehend the kingdom of Yahweh sometime in the future? No. Today is the day of salvation, if you hear his voice. We are living in eternity today. You can walk in the kingdom today, and you can apprehend kingdom technology today. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's amazing. Yahweh is so faithful to us. Sukkot, the final harvest. But we know that first there has to be an earthly restoration before there is a heavenly restoration. The historical deliverance from Midian has already taken place in the physical realm with Gideon, right? But in John chapter 8, verses 32... Yahushua says that he came to deliver the captive and those who had been taken captive. Have you been taken captive? I was taken captive. I was taken captive in England by the national insurance number that I volunteered for. And then I came over here and I did it all over again. And I volunteered for it because I didn't know, because I made a mistake. But now I can see clearly what indexes me into Mystery Babylon. You can't be a part of Mystery Babylon unless you're indexed in through that number. And then from that, everything spider webs out to compelled performance. And everything attaches. Everything does. That's what indexes you into the matrix. So, so sever the cords that bind you and then use millennial technology to prepare you for the kingdom that's actually going to be here, that's coming now. Mystery Babylon is in its death throes. That is why, the, what did we just discuss? We just discussed that the, what did I say? I was talking about Mystery Babylon before we went live. It's like a creature that is in her death throes. A creature that is in her death throes is very, very dangerous to be around. Extremely violent, extremely um, immoral, extremely amoral, and will actually whip and lash to take out anybody because in the death throes. We're $30 trillion in debt, and it's getting more and more. Wars and rumors of wars everywhere. Manufactured weaponry of, 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 uh, of, of weather storms and all kinds of fires and plagues and viruses. And, I mean, it's just absurd. All right? It's just absurd. And it's all been normalized. It's all been normalized. 
because she is in her death throes. And that's why it's become so in your face. Things that were a little under surface a few years ago, now just it's all in your face. Because we are coming to this apex of where you have to make a choice. You're either with her, because you've got everything attached in there. Every, oh, well, everything, my, my retirement and every, oh, well, I paid into this. Oh, I want to get everything. It's all, well, you'll go with, or are you going to go? There's another way. It's going to be amazing. But, but you're going to have to leave that because you can't double dip. You can't have it both. You can't serve two masters. Which one's it going to be? Mystery Babylon and that government and that kingdom? or the kingdom of Yahuwah, because you can't, you can't straddle the divide. He will spit you out. That's where we're coming to. As for me and my house, I'm severing the ties, made the preparation. As for you and your house, you will have to make those decisions too. It's a very, very personal decision. But first of all, you've even got to be aware of what indexes you into the system. This is, oh, the trains are coming. The choo-choo trains are coming. Can you hear it? You've got to watch out for those cattle carts, apparently, allegedly. In John chapter 8, verse 32, he takes Yahusha and releases us from captivity. Those of us that were taken captive, those of us that were in bondage then and now, not only to sin. Yes, I was in bondage to sin, but there is so much more to it than that. There's commercial bondage. Mystery Babylon is commercial in nature. So yes, I've, the spiritual aspect is we all want to be delivered from sin and iniquity, for sure and for certain. But then you can't continue to whore in your commercial activities and be absolutely in bondage where you're working from January through to May for free, okay? And Mystery Babylon, you're paying Mystery Babylon for the, for the luxury of getting up at the crack of dawn. I mean, that's slavery. Commercial in nature. Everything, we've been delivered from it all. Why would you just want part of the blessing? Oh, I'll just take the deliverance from my sin and iniquity. I would like to also be the beneficiary of my own labor, please. 100%. To the third and fourth generation. Not, not in the future, like now, today, is the day. Oh, but you indexed yourself, oh, okay, sever it, today. Whose fault was it? Mine. Nobody, nobody tried to con me. Mine. I made a mistake. And when I do that, instant freedom. It's called the law of notice. Everybody's on notice. Doesn't matter if you park, if you camp in the in the um, city park, and the police come in and say you're you can't camp here, and you say, well, why not? Oh, there's a notice board there. It says notice, do not camp here. Well, I didn't read that. I didn't see that. Too bad. It's the law of notice. You didn't you did you didn't see it? You were noticed. You can't do it. Same with us. You make a mistake. You make notice of your mistake, you put your notice out there. Doesn't matter if anyone acknowledges it or not. You've made a notice of your mistake, you're now free. Now live free. It's a change of the mind.
It's a change of the soul. It's a change of the life. And it happens today. We are not in bondage. We're only in bondage if we let ourselves be in bondage. Same when I was delivered from my sin. Oh, I, oh it's too big. I can never be. That's, that's what I believed until I met Yahusha. He's like, no, none of your sin is too big for me, Matthew. No, no, no. But are you saying that your sin is too big for me? No. But I thought, it, oh, how can I ever be forgiven of the things I've done? Well, I looked into Buddhism and Buddha couldn't help me. He's dead and in the ground. Oh, Hare Krishna, I looked into the Hare Krishnas. I thought, that was pretty sweet. You know, I can get all dressed up in orange. I can bounce around with the drums down Carnaby Street and Oxford Street in London. And those guys, man, they make some wicked, wicked vegetarian stuff. And they always seem to be having a fun time. But the Hare Krishnas couldn't deliver me from my sin and iniquity. Native American. Now that sounds really good, I'm thinking. I can smoke the peace pipe. I can go in and start tripping out in the sweat lodge. It's kind of like LSD, but clean, you know. Well, again, they were worshipping the creator, created things, not the creator. Great spirit, the eagle, feathers here and feathers everywhere, rocks and stones. That didn't deliver me. But when I met Yahusha, my sin wasn't too big for him. My captivity was not too grand for him because it's a different, different government. It's a government of equity and equitable remedies because the Father is the judge and he administers justice justly. That soothes my soul, especially now in my maturity that I can comprehend it. And because of that, I've had to examine my relationship in commerce. I've had to examine my relationship with Mystery Babylon and I've found that I have made mistakes and I have sinned. Therefore, I repent of my sins just like I did in the spiritual. I've now done commercially. And this is the key to coming out of her, my people. Not just spiritually, but physically, commercially, and preparing for millennium technology that then is placed in your hands to be able to maneuver in the world, but not of the world. Yahushua is the one that teaches us these things. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, we have both the literal fulfillment of Yahushua's restoration of all Israel, but also his spiritual destruction of the yoke of sin. And that's what I'm talking about. Yes, there was the spiritual destruction of the yoke of sin in my life, but now I'm learning what the physical restoration of Israel is. And it's a commercial restoration, being restored out of mystery Babylon stream of commerce, which is trading and trafficking in the souls of the saints. And if you don't believe me, do you have a birth certificate? Do your children have a birth certificate where you registered them in the streams of commerce? They're being traded and trafficked. So there's no, no, oh, you're this ridiculous. Okay, that pretty much answers your question. You register anything, it no longer belongs to you. It's being traded and trafficked.
It's that simple. Once you register something, it's being traded and trafficked. That's why it's always on bond paper. It's a commercial bond. We have been bonded into bondage. And he's liberating his people now in this time. Isaiah now goes into the wonderful, wonderful government. The government in nine, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty El, the Everlasting Father, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. There is no end to the increase of his government. And the peace on the throne of David and on his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with equity from now on even forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. This is Yahweh's equitable remedy for his people. It's a different government because it's an equitable government of justice being administered justly. The right dealings between man and his fellow man. It's not all rigid statutory law merchant rules where you're all boxed in. No, it's the right dealings. What's right? What's honorable and what's decent? That's an equitable justice that Yahweh administers. Now, I must say, the Restoration True Name Edition Scriptures, in my opinion, is the only translation with notes that sufficiently address all of Judaism's linguistic tricks where the Talmudic religions attempts to thwart the plan of Messiah and obfuscate the plain sense of the text. Um, because in the Hebrew, the Hebrew here reads, Ki yeled yalud lanu ben natan, lanu va teche hamashira al shimroch vayikra shemo pele yoetz, el gibor aviad sa shalom. Now, in Hebrew grammar, there exists two types of verbs. Number one is for a completed action, and that's known as a perfect verb. And the other verb is for an action that has not yet been concluded, which by implication means a future or an ongoing action known as an imperfect verb. Okay? So if it hasn't yet been fulfilled, it's an imperfect verb, it's an ongoing, but if it has been completed, then that's a perfect verb, okay? Now that's quite apparent in the Hebrew. And I'm no Hebrew scholar, I've just got, you know, Esau, just like the rest of you, okay? I used to be pretty good at it 15 years ago, but as you can tell by my absolute dreadful Hebrew pronunciation, that I you know, kind of laid that aside. Because I realized at some point, I'm not going to go join the IDF. I'm not going to go and live over there. I thought maybe one time that might be cool until I realized that it was all Talmudic and Zionistic of the, the kingdom of men. You know, 
I'm into the different government, not Netanyahu's government and not Joe Biden's government. So then that became apparent to me. I had to give that up, right, and focus on other things. So these references here, you hear the word Vayikra. Can anyone tell me what that means? Vayikra, it's the, the name of a book in the Torah, right? And he called or Leviticus, about Levites from the Latin, but it's really, and he called, Vayikra, and he is called, what? You see it right here, Vayikra, or the Veteche, and Vayikra. They're both imperfect verbs. I Meaning it's an ongoing action, right? It's ongoing. And he called, um, well, he called you, when? How many years ago? But he called you today. And he, he's going to call that person tomorrow. So it's an imperfect verb, vayikra. It's an ongoing action. It's indicating there's going to be a, full, a future fulfillment. There's going to be a whole lot coming out of her, my people. And he called her, come out of her, my people. So it's never too late. It's never too late to come out of her, my people. But if you start making claims and accusing people, well, they did fraud on me. Well, and I've done all this. Okay. Well, yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't give me the full contract. It was a hidden contract. Well, yeah, it's too bad. You didn't have to do it, Matthew. It's called an adhesion contract. They don't tell you everything that the contract's involved with. Like when you go and get your driver's license, they don't actually tell you that you're actually signing up for selective service, and that if they want to implement selective service, then all your males are going to war, right? You're going to go and your sons and daughters are going to die on the battlefield of some insane war in Ukraine that nobody knows about because they got a bloody driver's license. They didn't tell you that. That's called an adhesion contract. Because you can't get a driver's license without that number that indexes you into the beast. But they don't tell you that either. You just signed on the dotted line. The stupid signature which is called on the dotted line. There's other ways to do it. But we didn't know this, you see, because this kingdom of men is not equitable. It's all what? Fictional. Fictional. Because we're dealing with mystery Babylon. But this prophetic perfect, the third category... We see the verbs yaled, yaluda, a child will be born. This is an imperfect verb, as in ben natan. You heard that in the Hebrew, ben natan. A child was given. A perfect verb. Well, they both appear in nine, chapter 9, verse 6. Why is that? How come an imperfect verb and a perfect verb appear in the sixth verse? This is very telling. And yet there's still a third category. We've got the perfect verb, the imperfect verb. They both appear in verse 6. But there's this third category used here called the prophetic perfect. Meaning it's a particular kind of style that's written in the Hebrew where the event, listen, where the event is yet future, but it's written in the past tense. Now, this is the kind of stuff that I used to just check out of in the Christian church. It's just in the Old Testament anyway. 
they never used to eat pork back then. <laughs> now I'm actually paying attention because I'm like, well, we're not supposed to eat pork. Actually, everything in the New T Old Testament, it's, it's new to you. It really is the New Testament to you, isn't it? Because you never read it. See? So now I'm paying attention. And I'm like, well, what is this prophetic perfect? What is this writing style that is yet future, but it's written in a past tense? Surely I should pay attention, not check out. So now I'm checking in, meaning it's a perfectly completed action. It's the prophetic perfect. It's a perfectly completed action. Even though it was written in the past tense about an event, yet it's still future. There's many prophecy, prophecies in the Old Testament, better, the first covenant, that are clearly future events that use prophetic perfect verbs to describe the still future prophetic events. events. Since Yahweh knows, just like Isaiah says, he declares the end from the beginning. You see the two tenses there, right? The end from the beginning. And he is prophetically declaring a finished action. Yahusha is that finished action even though it hasn't actually taken place. A really good example of this is Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, where both houses of Israel are described and declared to be in exile, even though actually neither house has actually been sent into exile yet. It's impending. We know that it would happen. But they didn't know that. Yes, they could see that it was possible that it could happen. But it is written as a prophecy as if it had already happened. But at the time of the writing, it hadn't happened. Now, you have to break this down to understand Isaiah. And this is what we were not taught in the Christian church, which is why people can get very bogged down in the prophets and not understanding it. So succinctly to help you understand because this really helped me there's three things going on in the prophets not just Isaiah but all the prophets and that is the verbs the perfect verb a completed action number two there is an imperfect verb that is an action not yet concluded but by implication it means that it's going to be future or an ongoing action. That's an imperfect verb. And then there is the third category, the prophetic perfect. And this is the writing style that the prophets use, where the event is yet future, but it is written in the past tense, or as a perfect completed action. Now, if you make a little note of those three things in that little folder where it says the prophets in your Bible, and it doesn't really exist, but, you know, your translators stick it in there, um, that might help you because it certainly helped me. So I'm like, well, hang on, what's going on here? It's written here, but it's like future, but it hasn't taken place yet. I'm confused. And then I look at this and go, oh, okay, it's English grammar. It's actually not. It's Hebrew grammar, but you know what I mean, right? Grammar helps, doesn't it? Oh, man.
you do bang on, don't you? Good grief. I'll give you another example, seeing as I'm on a roll. Here's another prophetic, perfect example. It's the suffering servant chapter of Isaiah 53. It's a prophetic perfect, meaning it's a writing style where the event is yet future. Had Yahushua yet been crucified? No, but it is written in the past tense. What's going on here? Prophetic perfect, right there, which is why the rabbis are so confounded with it. In fact, that's the banned chapter. You're not allowed to study that in Judaism. You're not allowed to study that. That's banned, as is the first several chapters, we know they're not, but the first several Masoretic chapters of, of Ezekiel, they're banned too. It's too intense. It's too prophetically perfect. Too prophetically perfect. So in Isaiah 53, you see the suffering servant is seen as having completed the work of atonement, yet its literal fulfillment is still like 740 years off in the future. Pretty cool, huh? See, this is the kind of stuff that gets me going in the morning, along with my coffee. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 contains the prophet, prophetic perfect in the words, Ben Natan, Ben Natan, a son has been given. Ben Natan, that would be a cool name for a son, wouldn't it? What's your son? Ben Natan. Then, then later in verse 6 on Isaiah 9, Isaiah takes this prophetic perfect and he just nails it in even more, no pun intended, Isaiah 53, and combines it with the imperfect future verbs, the vateche or the vayikra, and he called, and the government will be, and he shall be called. You see all the verbs working together there, right? See, now I understand it, I get excited about it. This used to have just confuse the heck out of me back in Calvary Chapel. But you see all this gray hair? That's why it says in the Bible, you best stand up in the presence of the gray head. Because it's called the school of hard knocks, right? It's called the school of hard knocks. Now, the literal reading should be like this. Child to be born to us, son given to us, and government will be on his shoulder. So what we've got there is future tense at the time of the prophecy, about a 786 before the common era. And, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, oh, Mighty L, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So I'm feeling kind of angelic today. I'm thinking it's the cloud white. I feel like I could just float off into the cloud. All right. That's just what I'm feeling today. We live in exciting times. We live in an exciting times. Look at it laid out here. The references here are to a future fulfillment that are being used three times in Isaiah chapter 9, specifically hone in on that sixth verse. Now this disqualifies, I'm sorry, this disqualifies any possible past fulfillment before Isaiah, Talmudics, I'm sorry. As well as any possible immediate fulfillment of King Hezekiah, 
Because that's what Judaism will always say. Oh, it's King Hezekiah. Oh, and it's the son of King Ahaz. That's, that's what this is. No, it's not. You just miss all of the verbs right there in the sixth verse that I've just been banging on about for the past 20 minutes. If, in fact, Hezekiah, the righteous king of Judah, was the eternal father, as the Talmudic say, well, he died. It's not very eternal, is it? Is it? How can he be the eternal father? He blooming died. Right, you can keep that kind of eternity, please. It's not very reassuring, is it? Oh, Hezekiah is the eternal father. Yeah, he just died. Hmm, okay. How's that for you? The messianic prophecy found here in Isaiah, the seventh verse of the ninth chapter, is a key piece of evidence from the original Hebrew words of the veracity of the virgin birth of Isaiah chapter 9, 7, verse 14. Okay, don't miss that. Because people try and steal that faith from you. Especially in the messianic movement that gets extremely messy when it comes to the sovereignty of Yahushua, the deity of Yahushua, the virgin birth of, the, of Yahushua, and the government of Yahushua. They start to get, or they start to fudge around with that stuff. Because they're being enticed into Judaism that denies all of these powerful prophecies in relation to Yahushua. No Yahushua, no equity, no redemption, no salvation. It's just death and mayhem without him. It's simple. It's really simple. In Hebrew, you've got the closed mem that usually appears at the end of the word. It's called a mem sofit, or the closed mem. It's usually always at the end of a Hebrew word. But the only exception is right here in Scripture, right here, where it's found in the prophecy in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Here, the closed mem, it's not at the end of the word. It's in the middle of the word. What's up with that? A closed mem means an increase, because the mem is the womb. It's an increase, because here it appears in the middle of the word, because there's going to be a what? What's there going to be an increase of? There's going to be an increase, a closed mem, of his government, which is then going to burst forth out of the nations. The word is lamab, meaning to increase. And normally, in the middle of a word, the reader would find an open mem. Now, there is this Talmudic book called the Zohar, and it says in the Zohar, which is kind of a mystical book, I don't recommend you read it, but I have, but, you know, it's because I'm crazy. The closed mem refers to the fact that the Mashiach would be born from a closed womb. That's what it says in that mystical book. The closed mem shows that when Moshiach comes, he will be born of a closed womb. That's why it's a closed mem, because the mem is the womb. And it will only bring forth the increase when he makes the way. So that makes sense? That's... 
not even in our religious books. That's in their religious books, buried. Isn't that amazing? Now, there's this Messianic Jew, okay, who survived the atrocities of the 20th century, and he comments on this very portion of the Zohar. And he was sharing this with the rabbis, and this is what he said. Isaiah, quote, Isaiah puts a closed mem in the middle of the word to show the reader who was destined to understand it, that the divine child of whom this prophecy speaks would be born of the closed womb of a virgin. <laughs> That's some pretty wild stuff, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about the Mashiach here. But what's so cool about this prophecy? As with everything, it always goes back to Abraham. Always goes back to the Book of the Covenant. It always goes back to the Malkitzedic. Because who is Yahusha? He's the Malkitzedic king. He's the Malkitzedic government. He's the Malkitzedic prince. He's the only one that is going to bring in redemption and peace. So let's see if we can see this in the life of Abraham. I think this is another proof of Mashiach. At the work of the promised son who would do the work and return us back to the Malkitzedic Book of the Covenant of Promises, the Covenant of Abraham, the Genesis 12 Covenant. Because look at the text. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty El, the Everlasting Father, the Sar Shalom. Four things. Four things that you're going to see throughout the life of Abraham. Four things that you and I need to exemplify every day in our life, especially when we're dealing with Mystery Babylon. Because this is a coronation hymn. This is a coronation hymn. This was a hymn that was sung by King Hezekiah in the plain sense, in the Peshat. But in the Sod, in the deep mysterious levels, it is the coronation hymn of Yahusha, the Malkit Zedek. This is the coronation hymn, not in the Peshat of King Hezekiah, but in the Sod, this is the coronation hymn of Malkit Zedek Yahusha, reflecting back on the life of Abraham. Is that what Yahushua said? Did he not say, well, you guys are the sons of serpents. You're not the children of Abraham. I'm paraphrasing, right? But he always hearkened back to the law. Abraham, I am. Abraham saw me in his day and said, Abraham declared of him. He was always hearkening back to Abraham because Abraham this is the key. This is the coronation hymn, not of Hezekiah. Yes, in the plain sense, but really deeply. This is the coronation hymn of Yahushua, reflecting back onto the very life of his friend, Abraham. Because we see the four phases of Abraham's life right here. Did you get it? 
It just jumps right off the page. Look, wonderful counselor. Who was Abraham a wonderful counselor to? Lot! <laughs> he was a wonderful counselor to Lot. Too bad Lot didn't listen to him. But Abraham gave him some wonderful counsel. And he even, he even interceded, did he not? So what would that make him? Wasn't he the one who was mighty in valor, number two? How was Abraham the one who was mighty in valor? He delivered Lot. Okay, so there's the first two. Well, what about the third? Abraham was a father forever. How was he a father forever? Well, it certainly wasn't through Ishmael, was it? It's because he begat Isaac, the son forever. Because from him comes Israel. He's a father forever. So, so far, we've got that Abraham is a mighty counselor. He is the mighty man in valor. And he is a father forever. Well, how on earth did he become a prince of peace? Well, did he not intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah? Did he not intercede with Yahweh on behalf of the righteous of Sodom? If that isn't being a prince of peace then I don't know. This is how we live as Malkitzedics. Right here. Right here. We're to be wonderful counselors. That's what I'm trying to do with you guys. I'm trying to be a wonderful counselor. I'm not very good at it, but I do try. Wonderful counselor. I definitely, definitely am all up for being a mighty one of valor. I mean, I'm built that way. I mean, I want to, I'm ready. I mean, if I see a brother in trouble, I'm, I'm in. All in. Maybe too much so. Sometimes I wonder if I go looking for trouble. I've always been up for a fight, you know? Can't, you know, I don't know. A father forever. That's a tough one. But didn't, didn't Paul say, you don't need more teachers, you need fathers. Love the flock. Have some mercy, Matthew, compassion. I do love the flock. I used to be a lot more judgmental. Now, it's just, man, it's tough out there. We need mercy, compassion, restoration. Yes, repent. But listen, let's not say nasty words about one another like the heathen. Let's be about restoration. Let's be about honor. Let's be about decency. Let's be about integrity. We don't need a multitude of words. Sin is found there. Prince of peace, man. We plug into Yahushua each and every moment. There is more peace in my life than ever before. Death, where is thy sting? Enemies, pff, death. Just accept whatever they charge you with. And the charge is discharged. No need to fight anymore. Man, there's some peace there that I've never had. More at peace now than I've ever been. It's pretty cool. And what's the final words? The zeal of Yahweh will perform this. I've, I've definitely got some zeal. Okay, I've got some zeal. All right, I've always been that way too. I was zealous for the devil. 
walking hand in hand with the devil along the streets of Seattle up in Capitol Hill with all the LGBTQXYZs and all that back in the day before they were named that. And now, you know what? I repent of my sins. I come out of her, my people. And now I realize the wonderful truth of the Bible. It's a narrow path that leads to life, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And majority rules not, because they're all on it. And that's why they're all championing to carry on and join us on our path to iniquity. Well, that's the broad road, and you just, you know, majority rules. You go on that road, I'll stay over here. Yeah, I know there's only a few of us, but... Uh, you know, misery loves company. I'll stay over here on the narrow road that leads to life. We all right, so we forsake the discos. It's okay. It's okay. Now, the next section, if it's okay to offend the woke folk. Do you think it's okay to offend the woke folk? Because the next section will offend the woke folk with a conspiracy. You do realize that post-COVID, we now live in an age where conspiracy theories are evidenced as being true more often than not, right? All those alleged conspiracy theories during COVID, they've now actually been proven. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, everybody did uh, get in bed with Big Pharma, and yeah, it was totally a commercial system of compelled performance, and yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, but no, no, we didn't listen at the time. Yeah, and, and we, it's, it's actually been established by, you know, medical experts in the United Kingdom that, yeah, that, that didn't prevent diddly squat. Yeah, yeah. And we told you all, but, you know, but you felt safer, didn't you? Yeah. We were the conspiracy theorists, weren't we? Yeah. Well, we live in a world now where post-COVID conspiracy theories are actually more often proven true rather than not. So let's get into the next section of scripture regarding 9-11, the prophecy of pride and the arrogance of heart. Because literally, this is a prophecy over the house of Jacob. Yes, it's not about 9-11. It's about back in Isaiah's day. It's about Ephraim, the ten northern tribes, and how prideful and arrogant of heart they were, that there was impending judgment coming from Samaria, that their cities were going to be destroyed. Yet, they were so prideful and arrogant of heart, they would stand up in their arrogance and pride, and they would not repent. That is the literal meaning of the prophecy. But there is an end-time conspiracy which talks about the pride and arrogance of heart. Yes, the literal prophecy has taken place. It took place in Samaria. But let me break this one down for you and see what you think. Verse 8. Yahweh sent a word to Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. And all the people shall know, Ephraim and the people of Samaria, who say in the prideness and hardness of heart. Now this is the sycamore tree prophecy. 
Now, the sycamore tree over here in America, it's called the buttonwood tree. The American sycamore is known as the buttonwood tree. Has anyone ever heard of the buttonwood agreement? No? Okay. Verse 10. The bricks have fallen down. Bricks. The Hebrew word there is laboneth. Laboneth. It means burnt tiles or pavement bricks. Have fallen down is the Hebrew word like Nephilim, fallen ones. Nafal. To fall down violently or let something drop violently. Usually associated with fire, death, mayhem and burning. In an eternal abode. Ash and destruction. Get my meaning? So, so far, we've got something to do with the buttonwood agreement. The sycamores being fallen. Specifically, the American sycamore, the buttonwood tree. We've got with burnt tiles or pavement bricks falling violently and ash burning in smoke dropping violently. It's a conspiracy. But we will rebuild with cut stones. That's the arrogance and pride of our leaders. Cut stones is the Hebrew word gazith, gazith, as in a granite cornerstone. What did they replace the Twin Towers with? Uh, was that like a granite cornerstone, the Freedom Tower? Did they put that up, you know, somewhere maybe three years later? I'm not getting ahead of myself, sorry. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Oh, wow. Would that be the tree of hope? Cedar tree? Hmm. Why don't we break it down further? Now, I did start off this whole teaching talking about mystery Babylon and the extremes of commerce, did I not? I think I can tie it in. Because in May 1792... In May 1792, 24 stockbrokers mysteriously met underneath a buttonwood tree, the American sycamore. It stood alone on a little dusty street called Wall Street in the middle of New York City. And these 24 stockbrokers formed what was called the Buttonwood Agreement. An international, listen, an international admiralty maritime commercial agreement which birthed another Ephraimite golden calf of mystery Babylonian commercial streams of revenue that would be implemented to carry mystery Babylon upon the seas and then gain her onto the dry land. The beast would come out of the sea and onto the dry land. She would be a tadpole that would turn into a fire-breathing dragon. And she would take the international admiralty and maritime laws of the statutory law merchant and she would bring them onto the land and make commercial statutes and enslave everybody, indexing them into the beast 
by compelling them to register everything from their children to their retirement accounts to everything that they would be slaves from cradle to grave and they wouldn't even know it they'd be so enslaved that they actually work for free for the first four months of the year for the rest of their lives <laughs> Sounds like a pantomime, doesn't it? Sounds like a conspiracy. So these 24 stockbrokers in 1792 met underneath the American sycamore tree called the Buttonwood Tree, and they birthed the Buttonwood Agreement, an international admiralty maritime commercial agreement that birthed the golden calf the golden bull that you see right there on Wall Street. The symbol. What did, the, what, did, what did Israel do up in north in the time of Isaiah? Did they not build not one golden calf, but two? And now we get 24 Ephraimites in the Ephraimite nation of the United States, which houses the most exiles because of its land mass. And it says in the prophecies that the tribes will be allotted, how many tribes there are will be allotted by the size of the landmass. It says that in Deuteronomy. I don't know the chapter and verse, but I could find it and recall it to you later. But it says that the tribes will be dispersed by their number according to landmass. And it's obviously the United States is the largest landmass. It's going to house the most tribes. 24 stockbrokers... They sit down, they form this commercial Babylonian system under the buttonwood tree in 1792. And the symbol of their agreement is the golden calf of Wall Street, the bull of the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> this bull symbolizes the trafficking and trading of the souls of the nation in commercial slavery and bondage. Okay? Think of everything you've registered, including your children and grandchildren, okay? Everything. Now, the first inauguration was April 30th, 1789. That's when the United States government was born. We're talking about different governments here. I prefer the one on his shoulders rather than the one on these 24 stockbroker's shoulders, which is really on the shoulder of the golden bull of the New York Stock Exchange, because this is all about the Buttonwood Agreement. April 30th, 1789 is when the U.S. government was born. George Washington at that time went to St. Paul's Chapel. St. Paul's Chapel was in New York City, and at that time, New York City was the actual capital of the United States at the time. And he prayed to God this prayer. If the nation departs from God, it will be its destruction and falling down. Nafal, violently. This was the only building, St. Paul's Chapel, at ground zero that was not destroyed. Pretty interesting. But it gets even weirder. 
So according to biblical themes, and I, I'm sure we can all agree on this, when judgment comes, it comes to where the covenant was struck. Well, this is where the United States was covenanted. New York City, ground zero, St. Paul's Chapel. You actually can see this chapel in that movie with Nicolas Cage. It's a good movie, actually, um, like National Treasure or something, I think it's called. It's maybe from the early 2000s. It's pretty cool. It gets into a lot of this occult stuff. Anyway, New York City was actually declared the capital on September 13th, 1788, by the U.S. Constitutional Convention. Many people don't know that. But where exactly did they declare this, you may ask? At ground zero. This is where the first U.S. government knelt and prayed. So if judgment was ever to come on this nation, where would it happen, do you think? Now, if this isn't interesting enough, and I hope it is, it's pretty interesting to me, it only gets weirder. Now, bear with me. Take a stroll with me here and just humor me. Now, historically, the whole prophecy, I grant you, is about a nation's pride and arrogance of heart. We can all agree on that. And it's about this nation's pride and arrogance of heart. In the midst of impending judgment, they still remain defiant. They won't repent. Well, U.S. senators at the time, Dom, Tom Daschle, John Edwards, and John Carey, they had these words to say at ground zero, and they quoted at ground zero this very prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 11. But they're so biblically illiterate and unredeemed that they pervert the prophecy on its head and they say it in pride and in the arrogance of their heart. When really it's a prophecy that is supposed to invoke you to repent, not to use it in pride and arrogance of heart. And this is what they said. We are the heirs of this spirit of defiance. Oh my, I would, I mean, I'd be, I would be trembling right there. I'm like, I've got to get out of here. There's going to be an earthquake. They're going to be struck with lightning. I mean, would you? I would be, I'm getting well away from these three fellas. Tweedledee and Tweedledum and his other friend. It rhymes with dumb. Anyway, we won't go there. Please, good grief. They're all perverts. It's supposed to invoke repentance, not defiance. That was John Carey who said that. Weirdness from the onset, though. Weirdness from the onset. This is like 9-11, right? But judgment had arrived prior to 9-11. In fact, on November 2008, I told you weirdness from the onset. On November the 5th, right after the election, and you remember who got voted in back then, the Illinois winning lottery ticket numbers... Pick number three was number 666. Illinois lottery ticket number winning pick number four was 779. Now, now this, I'm not a statistician, obviously, <laughs> but I know somebody who is. 
Um, this is statistically impossible. Why? Because it actually eat, equals something in Hebrew gematria. Antichrist, complete judgment. That's what that equals in Hebrew gematria. Antichrist, complete judgment. You see, what happened to the Buttonwood American sycamore tree that the nation's founders met under at Ground Zero is even weirder. It got uprooted at 9-11. Now, what would you do with a, a tree that was uprooted? No, 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 not, not these clowns. No, 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 no. no they're nothing normal. No, what they did is they dipped it in bronze. Bronze is judgment. And made a blooming statue out of it, of defiance. There is now a bronze statue of the buttonwood tree, the sycamore tree, at that very place, and then they replaced it with a cedar tree. Is that what the prophecy says? Their defiance. They turned the sycamore tree, the buttonwood tree, into a bronze-rooted judgment, and then in place they replaced it with a cedar tree. They call it the tree of hope. You don't think this is some occult, mystical baloney that they're up to? You don't think that Mystery Babylon knows what's going on and is truly trafficking and trading and laughing at us? Ezekiel chapter 28, you are being traded and trafficked in souls. It's always been that way. This Christian fantasy that this is God and country. I don't know what God you're serving, but I don't serve Mystery Babylon. And the government, I'm sorry, I'm not anti-government, I'm pro-government. But it better be resting on Yahushua's shoulders, because otherwise you're a heretic. You are a heretic if you are up for anything other than Yahushua's government. I'm just telling you. All these nut jobs that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, well, that's mystery bad, but that's not my fight. That's not my capital. We've got to get our priorities right as believers. The Christian church has compromised with mystery Babylon. They're 501c3s, non-for-profit non corporations taking the benefits and privileges. It's very sobering. What happened is they cast this sycamore tree into bronze, which is judgment upon themselves, and they proudly have it now displayed on Wall Street as an act of defiance against the very judgment, and they call it the tree of hope, which is a cedar tree that was planted in its place, thus fulfilling verse 10. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them defiantly with cedars. This is a multi-level prophecy. prophecy. I think it's fascinating. But like I said, it always can get weirder. When did this actually take hap um, happen, you may ask? Well, it happened on the Talmudic Babylonian calendar on the seventh day of the month of Elul. Now, those of you that are familiar with the calendar will know that Elul comes right before Tishri, and it's the month of repentance, when you're supposed to repent. You're supposed to do Teshuvah. Now, three years later, on the very same day, 
on the 7th of a law. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, remember those two companies? They were placed into conservatorship. We know that Elul is, is the month of Teshuva, the month of, of repentance. But coincidentally, not really, this is also the month that Moshe Rabbeinu returned to Sinai to repent of the golden calf. The very symbol that they have of the New York Stock Exchange and the Buttonwood Tree Agreement. This is the very symbol of Mystery Babylon of her streams of commerce and slavery, the charging bull in Bowling Green, Wall Street, New York City. It's right in your face. And we're all like, oh, yeah, how's your um, 401k doing? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to retire and get my social security. How much have you got paid into Social Security? Oh, are you going to get any taxes back this year? Oh, I'm going to get so much taxes. I'm going to get myself a flat screen TV with all the taxes I get back. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to go on Hawaii to Me go on holiday to Hawaii or Mexico and get absolutely loaded and drunk. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I'm going to go buy myself a new lawnmower. I mean, this is the stuff I hear all day long. And you're like, what kind of company are you keeping? <laughs> well, I'm, I own a school in the commercial realm <laughs> interfacing with Mystery Babylon. <laughs> I got my hand right up the glove. I mean, <laughs> which is what you're supposed to do in the world, but not of the world. <sighs> my goodness, it's amazing, isn't it? Who would have thought you could get so much out of a Bible teaching, huh? Only with me. You guys, look at verse 11. And Yahweh shall set up the foes of Rezin against him and spur on his enemies, the Syrians in front of the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Today, brethren, we live in a nation that has truly fallen in pride and is in arrogance of heart. And I think we can all see that. And in all seriousness, you know, it is sad. It's tragic because there is a whole lost generation out there. And they are being taken advantage of by the woke, mo woke mob, pretending that they actually care for them, but they don't. They'll leave them. They won't provide for them. They'll steal the blankets and clothes right off of them. For the people, verse 13, they do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek Yahuwah Savot. And Yahuwah will cut off from Israel the head and the tail, the branch, and rush in one day. The elder and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people led them astray, and their guided ones are swallowed up. For this, Yahuwah shall not rejoice over their young men, nor shall he have mercy on their orphans or widows. For even is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks foolishness. In all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. 
for wickedness burns like the fire it shall devour the briars and the thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest and they shall roll upwards like the lifting up of the smoke verse 19 through the wrath of Yahuwah Savot is the land scorched and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire no man shall have pity on his brother and he shall cut off on the right hand and be hungry and he shall eat on the left and they shall not be satisfied each man shall eat the flesh of his own arm that's the zombie apocalypse right there it's because they all took you know the you know the thing you're not you think I'm joking right you know they're going to be doing that right Manasseh Ephraim Ephraim Manasseh and they shall together shall be against Judah in all this his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still you see the whole thing is its leaders the nation's leaders they gleefully enslave its inhabitants through compelled performance today we see it as benefits and privileges and it's always indexed through that almighty number that one number that indexes you into the streams of commerce the whole golden calf stream of commerce you're compelled to register everything from your children to your bloody dog to your home you own nothing and you are happy if you owned it you wouldn't have to register it and you certainly wouldn't have to keep on paying taxes for it and you wouldn't have to pay taxes when you were dead you don't own anything and you're happy well Yahweh is not and I like Isaiah no longer consent I choose to come out of her my people and I choose to prepare for my inheritance that is bigger that is better than anything that this world can offer it's the millennium brethren it's coming it's coming whether you are ready or not you can either remain with her or you can come with him but you cannot double dip it's Yahweh's millennium and this ministry is preparing for the millennium and this ministry has been endowed with millennium technology to get the Saints out of her my people and going where we're supposed to be going which is back to Zion to Abraham Isaac and Jacob to the feasts of Yahweh to the Feast of Tabernacles and if those sons of don't want to come up to the feasts and they won't get any water because we will have the millennium we already do have the technology of drip feed irrigation of all of the technologies to be able to turn water into wine just like that but we've got to learn how to control our contracts we do have the technology to take us into the millennium to soar as kings and priests upon this land to be blessed and to be the beneficiaries of our labor 100% and leaving it to the third and fourth generation 100% 
because it is in Yahweh's government, not Mystery Babylon. We live in amazing times. Pray for us as a ministry as we prepare a place for our millennial future together. And remember to sign up for Passover. It's coming quickly. And you can register in the links below. Greet one another as we exit on the chat. There's a lot to leave you with there. There's a lot to leave myself with there. That was... uh, I quite enjoyed that chapter myself, I must say. Shabbat Shalom, and we'll catch you live next week.